Namaste. I'm Reverend Wendy Craig Purcell here at the Unity Center in beautiful San Diego. Thank you so much for subscribing to this channel. Please make sure that you like the video you've just watched and consider making a contribution on our app or on our website. It's really easy to do. And thank you in advance for that support. It does make a difference. I titled the talk this morning, Living Deliberately. And I told you that this series is about living a good life, not living the good life. That has a different connotation, doesn't it? The idea of living the good life it tends to be more outer directed, I think. It can be about stuff. It can be about appearances. But what I mean when I talk about living a good life, it means living a purposeful life, living a life with meaning, living a life where you're able to focus on the things and the people and the issues that matter to you, that you have the things that you need, but that you don't live in a place of excess, but you live in a place of wholeness. And the longer I've been in this teaching, the longer I've worked on myself, the more I find that all of the ideas, the real solid truths, are nothing new. The real solid truths that help us to live a good life, to live more purposefully, to live more deliberately, they're not new. The ancients have, have taught them, maybe in language different from the language that we use today, but the principles, the ideas are old, and the principles and the ideas work. To live a good life doesn't happen by accident. It happens by choice. It happens by practice. It happens with every thought we think and every action that we take. And so I'm pulling from the idea of the classical virtues that have been taught by ancient cultures, the ancient Greeks, the ancient the ancient Romans taught these ideas that there were basic human virtues that if we could develop them, perfect them, improve upon them in ourselves, that we would be able to live a really good life. The ancient Greeks and the ancient Romans believed that there were four cardinal virtues, pivotal virtues on which everything else um, revolved, and those virtues are prudence, temperance, justice, and fortitude. Those aren't words that are in our common language today, and yet the principles of them, the idea of them, are every bit as sound and true and, and um, necessary in life today as they were when they were first identified or first described. And then there was St. Thomas Aquinas, who added to those four virtues and felt that there were three other virtues being faith, hope, and love. So we're going to be looking at all seven of these, starting with prudence today. And even as I say the word, I think, gosh, that sounds so old-fashioned. Say it with me. Prudence. Doesn't it sound old? It sounds outdated. It, it really does. But I hope that by the time I finish sharing some ideas with you that you go, you know what? I can see places in my life that I'm going to practice this a little bit more because I'm convinced if I do, my life is going to be better. I'll be li living more deliberately and more on purpose. 
So in preparing for this series, I came across a foundation. The foundation is called Virtue First Foundation. And if you've not heard of it, you might want to Google it, check, Google it and check it out later. And I think those of you in education, if you're not familiar with it, it's a great place to work with children and students in developing character. That's what this whole foundation is about, helping to develop character in young people. Sidebar here, I think some old people could use it too. Just my opinion for whatever that's worth. So here's a piece on prudence from the Virtue First Foundation. They say, prudence is probably sounds very outdated and may be the most devalued virtue of all today. What's the most undervalued, under-discussed commodity on the leadership stock exchange today, they write? What's the item that is currently on no one's list of desired qualities in a leader that once would have been consistently in the top four? It's not courage or willingness to risk. Every motivational speaker trumpets those. It's not humility or strength of will. Jim Collins has placed these squarely on the path from his book, Good to Great. It's not creativity. Think of Steve Jobs or unleashing core competencies, think of Gary Hamill, or the capacity to persist in the face of crushing failure, think of Winston Churchill. So what is today's most undervalued leadership trait? It's prudence. 2,000 years ago, prudence was considered one of the greatest of virtues. 100 years ago, it was part of the moral philosophy, and today it is a punchline of many a joke. What is it? There's an undeniable link. There's an undeniable link between living prudently and living a good life. You can't have one without the other. The ancient Greeks understood it. They considered it to be one of the four classical virtues. And in fact, they, they called it the charioteer of the virtues. They felt that the other virtues couldn't really be perfected or developed to any extent unless one really worked on, on oneself in developing prudence. And there's plenty of evidence of the importance of prudence in our, in our Bible. The book of Proverbs, if you ever pick it up and you, you read some of the Proverbs, you will find that so many of them deal with this idea of prudence. Whether they use the word prudence directly or not, they're pointing to prudence. They're pointing to wisdom. They're pointing to... to um, common sense, to good judgment, to strength. In fact, the, we know the story of King Solomon. Before he was anointed king, in prayer he asked God for one thing and one thing only. Some of you may remember from your Sunday school classes or your metaphysical Bible classes, the one thing that Solomon asked for before becoming king. He asked, give thy servant an understanding heart. Understanding heart is at the heart of prudence. Give thy servant an understanding heart. And we're told that he was given an understanding heart. And there are some amazing stories in the life of King Solomon that exemplify his ability to, to make wise decisions, to live as a prudent and wise, mindful king. And we're told that not only was he given 
a wise heart, a good heart, so that he could judge his people fairly, not in a judgmental sense, but in a discerning sense, that he could make wise decisions. He was given that wise and understanding heart, but we're told he was given everything else. Everything else. I think it's why the ancient Greeks and Romans really also linked this idea of living prudently is what is linked to creating a good life. So what is prudence? It is to exercise care and good sense when we make a decision. It's to exercise care and good sense when we make a decision, when we take action. Think about our emphasis in our spiritual practice of mindfulness. Do you see the connection there? Right? To make a good decision, to make sense, to when we take action, to decide rightly, to decide with discernment, requires that we are mindful. In many ways, it's saying the very, very same thing. Prudence is necessary, if you think about it. Prudence is necessary for, in order to seek the common good. When, we, when I think of the common good, I think of many things, and I imagine you do as well. The common good does not exclude the good of the people that are near and dear to me and in my circle, my family, my friends, you, my community, but it doesn't stop there. The common good is the good for all. When I think of the common good, I think of the, the truth that we are all interconnected, that we do impact one another. When I think of the common good, I think not only of the short-term effect of something, but the long-term effect of something. Would you not agree that that's essential when we're looking at the common good? When we talk now in business, when business circles now talk about the idea of the triple bottom line or conscious business practices, they're talking about this idea of the common good, but in order to seek it, prudence is necessary. Prudence is about exercising care and good judgment, not just for the short term, but for the long term. It's why we plan the way we use our resources, right? That we don't use them indiscriminately, whether we're talking about our time or we're talking about our finances. We exercise good, sound judgment for the short term and the long term in using them. We are interconnected. And in order to serve the common good, we've got to exercise prudence. I'm reminded of words I still am inspired by from Chief Seattle when he spoke about the idea of the web of life. The earth does not belong to us. We belong to the earth. The earth is our mother. Whatever befalls the earth befalls the sons and daughters of the earth. This we know. All things are connected like the blood which unites one family. All things are connected. We did not weave the web of life. We are merely strands in it. Isn't that a beautiful line? We did not weave the web of life. We are merely strands in it. Whatever we do to the web, 
we do to ourselves. Whatever we do to the web, whatever I do to you, does have an impact on me, and vice versa. Prudence allows us to recognize that. Allows us to recognize that. When we understand this, we can't help but live, choose to live more prudently, to live more deliberately, to understand more clearly what a good life looks like for each of us. We need prudence to figure out how to navigate change. How many of you had to navigate any changes over this last 18 months? Raise your hand. Anybody have to navigate? Anybody learn more things about Zoom than you ever wanted to learn? Mute and unmute and waiting rooms and sharing screens and, and adjusting audio and all of these. And that's just Zoom. What about everything else we had to do to figure out our lives if we had children in school figuring out how to, how to navigate what they needed in a virtual environment. We need prudence to navigate change. We need prudence to figure out which battles to fight and which ones to let go. That's a biggie. There are some battles or issues, if you prefer that word, that we really do need to fight. We need to get in there. We need to, to make fundamental changes. And then there are some battles that it's better just to let go. If you are married or in a committed partnership, you know what I'm talking about, right? After a certain amount of time in a relationship, if you really still work in the relationship, you get to a point where you go, this one's not worth a fight. Am I the only one that understands that? No, okay, no, right? We all get to a point eventually because the love is deeper. We've, we're prudent. We're mindful, we're making good sense. The love is deeper and we go, you know what? This one's just not worth it. I'm gonna deal with it, I'm gonna get past it, right? It takes prudence to choose the battles we're going to engage in, the issues we're gonna engage with, and those we're just gonna step back. It takes prudence to know when to let go and when to hold on. Sometimes in our metaphysics, we've gotten far too black and white, like it's let go only. I wish that life were that simple, that it always lined up in a pure black or white, right or wrong. But the longer I live, the deeper I go into these teachings, the broader the arena of gray becomes. And that's where discernment, the cultivation of discernment, the cultivation of wisdom becomes so important. And how do we get wiser? One of the ways is by trial and error. We learn from our mistakes, right? We do the best that we can. And if that didn't produce the result that we were hoping for, we step back and we ask, what, did, what can I learn from that? What didn't I know? What didn't I see? Was the timing off? Was I unclear? Whatever it may be. But we step back and we ask questions so that next time, maybe we can do it a little bit better. But we also analyze our successes. We figure out, why was that? Why did it work well this time? All of this is the exercise, I believe, of the quality of prudence. Again, from the Virtue First Foundation. As an act of virtue, prudence requires three mental actions. Taking counsel carefully with ourselves and others. Judging correctly from the evidence at hand. 
and directing the rest of our activity based on the norms we have established. Prudence is a charioteer of the virtues. I want to go back to each of those just a little bit. Taking good counsel mindfully with ourself and others, and I would add with spirit, that the development or the cultivation of prudence happens when we take counsel carefully with ourselves and others. It's what I was referring to a moment ago. It's the stepping back when we have fallen short or made a big mistake or failed and trying to understand what was really at issue there. It's stepping back and trying to understand when something went really, really well, what was that about so I can duplicate that. And it's also seeking counsel outside of ourselves. Who do we know that we look up to that has handled the kinds of things we're handling with ease and grace? Can we turn to them and seek counsel and try to understand a better way? I think these are all spiritual practices. And it is to to learn from the mistakes that we make and to learn from the mistakes of others. I am so glad that other people make mistakes that I haven't made so I can learn from them so I don't have to make all the mistakes myself. You, You chuckle, but I mean that sincerely. I mean that sincerely. And I hope that when I make mistakes and I share them with you, whether it's privately or, or somewhat publicly, that you can go, oh, boy, I see myself and her story. I'm going to learn from that. I'm not going to do that. There's some wisdom there. It's how we become more prudent. Judging correctly from the evidence at hand. A comment here, because in our metaphysics, sometimes we take this idea of of judging, again, in this very black or white way. Judging doesn't mean we don't exercise discernment. We have to exercise discernment. Discernment is a form of judgment. But what's important, when Jesus said, don't judge by appearances, he didn't say don't judge. He just said, don't do it by appearances. And I think if we could have sat down with him and said, okay, tell us a little bit more about this thing, that he might have added and he might have said things like, make sure you have all the facts before you judge. I remember a quote I read decades ago in the Reader's Digest, what the world needs is a net for those who jump to conclusions. I've never forgotten that. What the world needs is a net for those who jump to conclusions. And I bet if we're honest with ourselves, every single one of us has done that from time to time. We fill in the blank when we don't know all the answers of what's happened to someone or what's going on in a particular situation. We fill in the blank with our own story. That's not prudence. That's the misuse of judgment. And then they say, and directing the rest of our activity based on this, that then we act in accordance. Prudence is not the same thing as caution. Sometimes people think that that prudence is caution. It's not. Caution is a helpful strategy. Think about it. There are times in life when being cautious is the right thing to do, right? 
If you are driving in an unknown area and it's dark and it's snowy or wet conditions, you're in a mountainous area, you're in a car you don't know that well, you're tired, you probably want to exercise caution. It would be a good strategy. Would you agree? But if there's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity before you that you're going to need to make a decision on pretty quickly, you probably don't want to exercise caution. You want to have done the homework you needed to do, and then it's time to take a leap of faith, right? Prudence is not the same thing as avoiding mistakes. How many people, how many organizations, how many companies... How many groups of people are paralyzed by fear of making a mistake? And so they don't do anything. They don't do anything. There's a gridlock. Prudence is not the fear of making mistakes, and it's not procrastination. It is drilling down deeply and seeking wisdom and guidance. It is having the courage to do what needs to be done when it needs to be done because you've done the inner work and you've done the outer work. Prudence doesn't mean fearing risk. It means making wise choices. Let me repeat it. Prudence doesn't mean fearing risk. It means making wise choices. There's a book I was reading entitled Of Earth and Sky, and it's a book that looks at nature to learn from nature. And this particular book of Earth and Sky also looks at the virtues as they relate to nature. It's written by Thomas Becknell. And in a segment that he writes about prudence, he says this, practical wisdom or prudence is really the art of composing one's life. Prudence directs one's, prudence directs one first to find a worthy purpose in living, then serves to guide all of one's actions in the light of that purpose. Prudence enables one to live deliberately. To live deliberately. It's knowing what you want and why you want it, and then making all your choices to the very best of your ability line up with that. So I want to close with giving an approach, sharing an approach for making this practical, for looking inside your life in where and how you might cultivate a greater degree of prudence. There are areas we can look at. We can look at exercising prudence in what we think. Am I thinking prudently? Am I thinking wisely? There's an expression in metaphysics, stinking thinking, right? In metaphysics, we talk about the importance of deliberately working at the realm of consciousness. We talk about the importance of paying attention to the dominant thoughts that we hold. And if when we pay attention to those, we recognize these are not the kind of thoughts that I want solidified into manifest form in my life, so I better change what I'm thinking. And we can use that, do that with the tool of affirmation and visualization and prayer work. And so we can look 
to our thinking and, ex and choose to exercise greater prudence in what's going on in our mind. That's one area we might pick. Another area could be in what we say, that we're going to exercise greater prudence, greater wisdom in the actual words that we say. Whenever I talk about what I'm about to say and I'm speaking, I always feel a little hypocritical because I believe that one of the most underused and underappreciated qualities is listening. That in relationship, yes, it's helpful to learn how to communicate, and such an important part of communication is genuinely, deeply listening, not just with our ears, but with our mind, with our eyes, with our heart, with our whole being, in a way that another feels that they can really open, open up. But to exercise prudence in, in what we say, to exercise prudence in what we say. Do you remember the teaching, and I don't know where to credit it, but the teaching that says the simple rule before you speak should be this, and you need to get a yes to each of these three questions. Is it kind? Is it true? Do you remember the last one? Is it necessary? And many of us, I think, can get the first two right. <laughs> Is it kind? Is it true? Is it necessary? It'd be a very quiet world, wouldn't it? You know, is it kind? Is it true? Is it necessary? We could exercise greater prudence if we choose to practice that. Exercise greater prudence in what we do. In other words, in, in where and how we invest ourselves. Greater prudence in the use of our resources, whether it is our electricity, our dollars, our time. These are all commodities of a sort. And part of prudence is exercising good judgment in the use of those. So I just wanted to share a couple of very practical and simple places that we can just begin to do a little more work if we're inclined to, to develop greater prudence, whether it is in, in how we think, in what we say, or in what we do. As I say to you almost every week, if we can just hear an idea and take an idea each time we come to a place like this and use that idea consistently in our life for that week, we're going to see incremental positive changes in our lives. It absolutely works that way. Namaste.